Good evening. It's 9 p.m. on the West Coast, and you're tuned in to the ILEG Radio Show. Coming at you live from the heart of Oregon's Willamette Valley, broadcasting around the world on radio.ileducationgroup.org and ionglobalpolitics.com. Here's your host for the next hour, Dr. Paul F.J. Aranyas. Welcome to this ILEG radio show this Sunday evening, broadcasting live from the beautiful Willamette Valley on the cusp of spring. I hope you're having a wonderful evening. We're just going to be talking about some current events tonight. In the past few weeks, we've been talking about Russophobia and the historical elements and going back into history with that. And we'll continue with that in coming weeks, but we really want to See what's going on around the country in the United States and around the world with a few hot button issues. There's been some mass shootings lately, as always in the United States, unfortunately. And we've had some of these mistaken identity shootings where a kid shows up on a doorstep and a wrong door and a man comes out with a gun and shoots him. And thank the Lord that that young man has survived, although he's can't be easy, obviously, for the family and for himself going with the with the surgery and and the trauma to his to his body. But the man just came out with a gun. He was a, a young black man uh that was knocking on the door and got the wrong door and an elderly man came out with a gun and shot him uh I believe in the head for no other reason than I I don't even know. I haven't delved deeply. I guess they'll come out in the in the trial, but um, why he would do that? And then you had some cheerleaders get in the car, or a cheerleader get in the car in Texas and get shot, got in the wrong car and got shot. And another one in another part of the country, uh, the wrong driveway, drove down the wrong driveway. And I mean, this just defies common sense. There's something wrong going on in this country. Because obviously we have these mass shootings on a regular basis and you have these kind of shootings and then you have the run-of-the-mill gun violence that happens every day in this country where tens of thousands of people get killed by gun violence every year in, in this country. It seems to me just looking at these mistaken identity cases that one would first have so many steps. There are so many steps in between taking a gun out to your, to your front door and uh and or not and the myriad of steps that are between those two step are between those two events for instance a floodlight not answering the door having a dog i mean if you're really concerned about security uh a camera a voice box who is it uh a security system, an alarm system, uh, I, you name it, all kinds of things. Put a, a big floodlight, put a microphone. Who is it? And with a camera system. 
if they're willing to risk someone is willing to risk killing another human being and, and going to jail and taking a life of another human being, you'd think it'd be worth all the extra effort to put in the intervening steps of putting in all those other elements. Get yourself a Doberman or two or three and train them well with a professional trainer. Get floodlights, get a camera system, get a security system. All these things you could think of before you just run out and shoot somebody. And if you can't afford that, here's the best next best option. Just don't answer the door. How about that one? Just don't answer the door. And if they start banging on the door and trying to break the window, then you call the cops. Wow, what a novel idea. Just don't answer the door. If you're that scared of who's on the other side. Wow, what a novel idea. But you know what? This is a culture of violence This through the media. They want to pin this on guns. And, and guns are a huge problem. And that is the end point. And I'm not for guns. I don't own a gun. I don't like guns. I, I've never touched a gun. And I don't like them because... The reason I don't like them is because their their raison d'etre, their reason for being is to kill, and I don't believe in killing people or killing in general. Or I don't believe in, 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 in taking out a weapon because the weapon must be used. You can defend your family. You can call the police. You can stand in between yourself and someone else and, and take a bullet. But to to have a gun... The reason for having a gun is to kill. So that's my personal opinion. But they're, 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 we've gotten to a point where these guns outnumber human beings in the United States. There's 430 million guns in the country. There's only 330 million people. And so there's an absurd situation where the country is flooded with guns. And so the end point of all that is... You have these guns, and some of them are better at killing faster. Semi-automatic, automatic weapons, semi-automatic rifles. These kind of weapons that, sh that are weapons of war that shoot a tremendous amount of uh, rounds per minute. And you have to ask, why in the world are they being allowed to be bought on, on the market like you go into a a store to buy a sweatshirt. Why are they allowed to be sold at, at, at gun conventions and gun shows like, like it's a Christmas tree? And that is a big problem. And that's something that the Republican Party doesn't want to, to fess up to. That doesn't want to fess up to that they don't want to admit is a problem because they come up with all kinds of things like, well, more guns will, will, be, will be the solution. We'll be able to save people by putting guns and in the hands of good people will take, you know, be able to save you from someone with ill intentions. And that just doesn't make any sense because someone with a gun is, that wants to do damage is going to do damage. And... Having a lot of people with guns is not going to to solve the problem. They just want to turn it into this big wild west where there's a where there's a shootout. 
Okay, that's one problem. But, you know, the gun problem in this country is not only that, like the Democratic Party or, you know, liberals want to paint it as. It's a complex issue. And hopefully some in the Democratic Party will admit that, that it is a complex issue. It's not. That is just the end point. The fact that we have a violent culture where violence is everywhere from our foreign policy to our media, where it's inundated. You can't go on a, a prime video or uh, uh, see commercials without seeing advertisements for violence, for movies with gratuitous violence, video games with gratuitous violence. And I'm not talking about something that has meaning, that has some kind of value that they're depicting an event in history. This is just violence for violence sake. And it's everywhere in the United States. And if the guns disappeared, I think this country is so violent that people would start inventing other ways to go around massacring people. It may take some time. Uh, it may be harder for them. But I think that would happen because this culture is infused with, a, with violence. And, it's, and it's, it's all around. And you can, you can just, you can just take, a look at, take a look at our media and you'll come to that conclusion if you have any common sense whatsoever. But having these guns that are so efficient at killing um, just makes it so much easier for, for people with these bad intentions to carry out their, their mission of causing mayhem and destruction and death and, and, and tragedy. So the common sense is you have to get rid of those guns. You have to get rid of those guns and put limits and restrictions on, on guns in this country. A, because there's no earthly, no reason for them being there out and sold in the market and being available because they serve no purpose but to cause death and destruction. And secondly, because this is a violent culture, because the people in this cult country have proven that they cannot handle that quote-unquote responsibility of responsible gun ownership. And people will say, oh, well, some do, many do, but many don't. And that's the problem. We live in a community. If you lived on an island by yourself with your responsible gun ownership and you locked your gun and you kept the ammunition separately and you were trained and you kept, them, kept the guns away from kids, as many do in this country that have guns that do those responsible things to ensure that tragedy doesn't happen in their home or to their community and they do the right thing but many aren't able to do that and we live in a community you don't live in an isolated bubble you live amongst other people other americans and if enough americans aren't able to do that then you need your right restricted as well. Unless you're able to come up with a solution to make sure that your fellow citizens, whether it be, if you think the root cause is poverty, mental health, violence in the media, uh, lack of education, whatever it is, or the combination of many factors, you need to come up with a solution as a group, whether it be Congress, uh, community organizations that push Congress for legislation, whatever it is, you have to come up with a solution or else you need your right taken away from you and nobody should get that right. You ever hear that 
that expression, if one person, if someone can't do it, then the whole team loses? Well, what is a country but a big team? You know, people are always talking about patriotism and, 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 and the United States and what a great country it is and this and that and that. What makes a country great? Is it the scenery? Because there's a lot of good scenery in the world. The Rocky Mountains, yes, are beautiful. And the oceans and the landscapes and there's a lot of room. I mean, Oregon itself is the size of Germany. Is the size of Germany. It's a big country and there's a lot of nice things to look at. Snow-capped mountains and rivers and lakes and oceans. Does that make a country great? Because there's a lot of nice scenery in Russia, too, with lakes and mountains. There's a lot of nice scenery in Europe with the Alps and the Pyrenees and, and the Nordic countries and the fjords. And there's a lot of nice scenery in the, in, in the Middle East and in Africa and Himalayas and India and, and in Southeast Asia. So it's not... What makes a country great? What makes the country great, patriotic, is the people. The people. And if you don't take care of the people as a whole, with health care, with safety and security, you can't really call yourself a great country. Because greatness, it matters what you do to the least of these. What you do to the, the people at the, at the bottom. It's not how well you take care of LeBron James. That doesn't make a country great because you can point to the very third world uh, impoverished countries with massive corruption that have people living in huge mansions with servants. It's, it's, it's not what makes a country great to have Michael Jordan or to have Barack Obama. In fact, that is why uh, pointing to Michael Jordan and Barack Obama and LeBron James as evidence that race relations and that the, the African community is being uplifted is nonsense. When you can't take care of Jamal or, 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 or Laquisha in, in Compton, and they have no health care or no prospect for jobs or, and, and, and dodging bullets, then you can't say that the that the plight of the African-American community is, is improving. You can say that a number of people are being the best and the brightest, the, the most talented, but big deal. Vote, big deal. It's, it's when everybody is lifted up to a decent standard of living. So what makes a country patriotic and great? You can't call yourself great if people are being shot and, and students are... are are, dod are, are doing duck and cover drills in school every week to practice in case their number on the, on the uh, lottery of, of gun violence is, is rung up tomorrow. And you can't, you got to ask yourself, why has this continued year after year, decade after decade? with these insane arguments about gun rights. 
Like I said, it's a complex issue. It's not just about guns, but guns are the end point. The fact that you have a violent society with a violent media, with violent video games, with gross economic inequality, with racial injustice, with a culture of death, killing the unborn, a million abortions a year on average. And we're going to talk about that in just a bit, the abortion issue. But you have this culture of death. And we need people that, that believe in a culture of life, of life from the unborn to natural death and everything in between against war, against racism, against poverty. We need those people to uplift that message and say what you're doing in this country with the media, with the, with the proliferation of guns, with killing babies in the womb, what you're doing with that is no, there's nothing great about that. It's the opposite of great. And you're creating tremendous negative karma for this society. You don't think killing all those babies in the womb brings about tremendous negative karma in this society? Those are souls. And, and we're going to talk about that when we come back. Those are lives that are being destroyed for a, an insane philosophy that says what I see, what I see is real. If I can't see if it's tucked away inside a different location, even though if you investigate a little bit, you just get an ultrasound and see that it's a human baby, that they believe they can kill it. All the way up to giving birth in this country with late-term abortions. It's, uh, it's barbaric, disgusting, uh, and we're going to talk about that when we come back. Stay right here. You're listening to the ILEG Radio Show with Dr. Paul F.J. Aranyas. Broadcasting live on radio.ileducationgroup.org and ionglobalpolitics.com. Thank you for joining us tonight on this Sunday evening, this beautiful Sunday evening on the ILEG radio show. My name is Paul F.J. Aranias. We're going to be going right up to the 10 o'clock hour here on the ILEG radio show. We've been talking about mass shootings in the United States and the culture of death. And right along with that goes abortion which really is a, a sad, it's, it's, as Mother Teresa said, it's really a demonstration of people that don't love, that haven't found it in them to love until it hurts, until it becomes inconvenient with their plans. Love until it brings some inconvenience in your life. Love that overcomes the inconvenience because you love you love your child so much, you love your family, you love God. You don't let the inconvenience of life, of, of economics, of education, whatever it is, get in the way of what is right and what is just and, and expressing that love to other human beings and not being destructive. And what abortion does is really says in so many cases in the overwhelming Majority of the cases, it says, my plans are more important than human life, than someone else's human life. 
Now, everyone brings up uh, in the pro quote unquote pro choice camp that that abortion uh, is in the case of rape or incest. Uh, they they bring that up all the time, and that is less than two percent of all abortions. And we can talk about how you shouldn't punish a child for the crime of the father, or that uh, it doesn't take the trauma away from that horrible situation when a when a, a young person is molested or raped and has a baby to carry. But that doesn't take away that trauma. That doesn't erase the trauma by killing the baby. But let's talk about the 98% of the cases where, where abortion is carried out for convenience as a form of birth control, which Fidel Castro once called disgusting. So that's 98% percent of the cases are not rape or or incest or for the protection of the life of the mother and so what you have is people saying we should kill kids because they're poor because they might become poor or or, or they'll be poor and it'll be a rough life and they won't be able to provide since when is it okay to kill kids because they're poor or or you're poor or you're going through a rough patch and you lose your job can you kill your kid no, that's called murder. And same thing, the same thing with abortion. And the only difference between a five-year-old and someone in the womb are four elements. The degree of dependency, the size, the environment, and the degree of uh, the development, the level of development. And so we don't kill people because they're smaller. We don't kill people because they're less developed or they're in a different environment. They're housed in the womb versus in the nursery. And you don't kill people because of the degree of dependence because everyone is dependent in their life at some point, whether it's a five-year-old that's completely dependent on their parents or a 87-year-old that's dependent on someone else. So you don't kill people because of the degree of dependency. And so... I was watching a YouTube video and it was students for life at Virginia Commonwealth University and they were being lambasted by protesters that wouldn't let them speak and calling them ridiculously calling them fascists, uh, which doesn't make any sense because because someone is for protecting the life of a child in the womb has nothing to do with fascism, which obviously in its pure definition, Mussolini would say uh, that it's the merging of corporate power and the state. But there's a lot of elements to fascism, but it's not that. It's not being pro-life. That's the opposite of being fascist. That is protecting life. You know, Nazis wanted to get rid of the handicapped, get rid of communists, get rid of uh, Jews, get rid of gypsies, black people, Catholics, and others they deemed inferior. And they wanted their ideal of what is human. Now, protecting life that is not like you in a different state, in an unborn state in the womb, is the opposite of fascism. It's trying to protect all life. It's trying to protect life. And, and so these kids, they weren't making much sense, as sometimes happens on, on, on campuses. Students have yet to come to their full realization of, of what makes 
consistent common sense. Unfortunately, that carries on into adulthood and you get a lot of adults with that same incoherent uh, way of thinking. But they were screaming and yelling at these as the at these presenters. And you ask yourself, why does this engender so much anger and so much hatred and vitriol compared to other issues? And it's a good question. Other issues do engender a lot of a lot of emotion and passion, but abortion is one of them at the top of that that list. And I think it's twofold. And one of the the speakers spoke to that, and and I agree. One is abortion, when restricted and made illegal, really results in a change of lifestyle or the need for a change of lifestyle. If someone is using abortion for birth control, then they can go about their life sleeping with whomever they they want, thinking that they have no consequences for their actions, for their behavior, that they can only always just terminate a pregnancy. But if that is not an option, then they have to be a bit more choosy, a lot more choosy, because they realize that if they become pregnant, they're going to have to take care of their responsibility, as should the man. And it's a two-way street. By aborting a child, you're teaching the man that he doesn't have to live up to his responsibility, and he'll go do that to other women. And Mother Teresa spoke, spoke about this. The second reason why this topic engenders so much passion, if that's how you want to define it, or vitriol in many, in many ways, is that there's been so many abortions in this country, and if, obviously it extends beyond this country, but we're focusing on the, this country right now, that so many women have guilt. And they think by pointing out that this is murder, that you're going to make them feel bad, or they'll get, many will get defensive and try to cover it up with things like it's a clump of cells or fetus instead of little baby, which fetus is the Latin term for little one or little child that uh, they use instead of calling it a baby because it takes it out of the English language and it's, it's less of a, uh, of a jolt to the conscience. So there are a lot of women out there that have had abortions. Only God can judge their their souls. We're not here to judge, judge, lest the be judged. But we can look at the crime. Just as we look at child molesters and we say, that is horrible. I don't want a child molester in my neighborhood. Uh, you don't, you, you want, or you want to know if they are in your neighborhood because there's little kids running around. Murder is horrible. It's punishable by life in prison or a very long prison sentence. Just as those are horrible, so too is abortion, we believe, is killing a human being. But yet so many women in this country have had abortions 
and they've normalized it within the culture, like normalizing a, a crime, because before the 1960s, before Roe versus Wade, before the 60s, into the 50s, 40, nobody talked about abortion. That was a taboo term. That was unheard of. It was a, a moral blot. It was something that was disgusting. And it became normalized within this culture. It became normalized to kill your own baby. And what I think is, and, and, and I just read an article on CNN as a side note, where they talked about the women that were underground abortionists in the 60s, and they linked in with it the th other things that women couldn't do, like things, workplace, equality, etc., that, that have evolved for the better. And you can't just tie into something, and this is often their MO, is they'll take things that are good, good developments, women's work equality, women's rights, all these good things that women should have and tie in this other abhorrent thing that has nothing to do with these others except that involve women. So in that time, it was unheard of. And then it became normalized in this culture, this, this culture of death, of abortionist culture where they referred to it 40 years ago as a clump of cells, and that became outdated because we know that there's, as I said, there are only four differences between myself and, and an unborn child is the environment, the degree of development, the uh, level of develop, the uh, level of develop development, the degree of dependency, and the size. And those are the only differences because at the moment of conception, we have the entire map of what makes us us and life creates life so we have the entire map the decoding of who we are as a human being at the moment of conception and this is non-controversial in, in in the scientific world and so as this culture of death went from year to year and tens of millions of babies were aborted since Roe versus Wade. Over 50 million, probably over 60 million babies aborted from, from what I've read in the research. And the latest figures are a million a year. So as this progressed, more and more women killed their babies. And if you have that many women killing their babies, with the conscience that is infused in us to know inherently what is right and what is wrong. This is being smoldered and placated by society, a society of, of, of guilt and a society that says it's okay because they want to continue to do it for comfort and convenience at the expense of another human's life. Then you have all these people that what do you do with it? What do you do with it? How do you treat it? And it makes them very mad when you point out that abortion is murder. Because then it says that you have all these women, these tens of, of millions of, of cases that are cases of murder. 
And I think we have to get back to a point before Roe versus Wade, before the 1960s, when we keep all the developments for women's rights, for racial equality and in changing the laws, that for everything that we progressed in a good way and throw out the culture that says it's okay to kill a human being in the womb and point it out as such, point it out that that is murder. And if you, woman A or B and husband A or B, decide to kill that child, then you are murdering a human being. That's where we need to get within the political system, within the, the cultural life of this society. And the next question logically says, if that is murder, if we believe it's murder and the pro-life says it is murder, it's killing another human being, unjustified killing of a human being, which is the very definition of murder, what should be the consequence? And this is where political speak comes out and the political rhetoric comes out well, well. And the reason why that is you got a, an electorate full, not everybody, but replete with, with women and their accomplices, men, that have partaken in the murder of children. So what are you going to say It's as a politician? That it's murder, that the consequence for murder should be jail? Now these are bad cases, but yes, if it becomes illegal, then that should be the case. And that's what I, I, I believe is if it is murder, then the consequence should be jail. Are, are you saying, Dr. Paul, that we should put doctors and women in jail? Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying, because it's logical. If it is illegal to kill a baby, and that baby happens to be located in the womb, which is irrelevant because it is a baby, then those who partake in killing that baby have broken the law. They've broken the law and murdered a baby. And the consequence for that should be prison. How many politicians are going to tell you that? And it's not because it's not logical. It's not because it's not right. It's because politics in this country is about winning elections. And when you have that many women in this country that have done this horrible thing, and again, not everybody, but so many, obviously 60 million abortions since Roe versus Wade went in, into effect, 60 million plus, then you're not going to win an election if you say that. But that doesn't make it wrong to say that. That just makes it impossible for you to win an election. And the reason why you can't win an election is because a big chunk of the electorate are perpetrators of this, this crime, this moral outrage. 
And again, only God can judge their souls. But if you're talking on a legal perspective, on a legal perspective, you don't say, hey, only God can judge a child molester's soul. You know, let him let him continue to work at the at the nursery and don't put him in jail because only God can judge. No, you say this man has committed a, a moral outrage, a crime against society, a crime against innocent children, and there is a legal penalty to that, which involves a lot of jail time and being taken out of society and being taken away from, from potential victims. And the same thing in a different circumstance will be applied to to women and their accomplices, men, who encourage that or support that. And that's what I believe. Because you can't have it both ways. You can't say that abortion is murder. You can't say that it should be illegal, which many in the pro-life movement say. You can't say that and then turn around and say, well, you can't punish the woman or the doctor because you know, it's a tough decision and she's confused. Well, you don't say that the, 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 the murderer or the child molester or whatever is confused and he had a bad upbringing and he's, you know, maybe that's part of, the, part of it. Maybe he's mentally ill. Maybe he's had a horrible upbringing, but he still committed a crime. And society, the civil contract, the society, the legal system has to deal with that. And I think that's where the culture needs to, 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 to get to with 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 the the crime of abortion because it's become normalized where when it once wasn't normalized it was a travesty it was something that wasn't spoken of and and it became this culture of death where you can't you you, you can just speak of it as abortion a fetus instead of uh, killing a baby in a mother's womb tearing their limbs off so so there needs to be some consistency and understand that if someone commits a crime, then they should do the time. We'll be right back. You're listening to the ILEG radio show with Dr. Paul F.J. Aranyas, broadcasting live on radio.ileducationgroup.org and ionglobalpolitics.com. Thank you for joining us tonight on the ILEG radio show. We've been talking about the culture of death with mass shootings and abortion in this country. You know, I also want to mention that, you know, putting people in boxes is 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 really prevalent in this country. And of course it extends beyond, but you have so many people that want to place other people in boxes. They want to place people in Republicans, all Republicans in this box and Democrats or this box, and they want to put themselves in the in in a box. They they want to put themselves in a box and and I and identify with with a group. And they like putting other people in boxes. It makes them feel feel good about themselves that they can simplify everything down to this person believes this, then he believes everything. And you know we have a lot of people in this country that are stuck in that. One would say two-party system, but it extends beyond the two-party system. Conservative, liberal, and because you're a Republican, you're pro-life, and 
you're pro-gun and you're pro-big business and Democrats are pro-choice. And, you know, there are a lot of Democrats that are Catholic that are pro-life, but they are not for these other things that the Republicans are against immigration, against immigrants and demonizing immigrants. And so really the problem is we, we, we have these boxes that are people are shoved down in for electoral purposes and no one's going to put me in a box and they shouldn't put you in a box. You should be able to be sophisticated enough to look at all the issues and say, I believe in that. I believe in that. I believe in that. And because I believe in that doesn't make me uh, aligned with that. You, you have to think for yourself and say, is this right or is this wrong? According to my value system, according to natural law, something that's imprinted on my heart, according to, to what, what, what Christ says is, is the, the gospel message. If you're of another faith, according to your faith, as a, as a Christian, a Catholic, I look at, at uh, the gospel message as an objective truth. It is an objective truth and historical based in historical reality. You can, you can, you can compare that with the subjectivity of, of the legal system of, of law where you have someone like AOC going on the air the other day and saying that if they go through with the the ruling Supreme Court ruling on the abortion pill, then then the Supreme Court is illegitimate and uh, the President Biden should disregard the Supreme Court and not enforce it. And this is the same. These are the same people that said what gives them the right to abortion is the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court. Remember that Seinfeld when they asked Elaine in the restaurant, what gives you the right? She says, Supreme, the Supreme Court gives me the right. But when the Supreme Court goes against their wishes, then it's illegitimate. So there's no object, ob, objective standard infused in that. Just like in the 1920s, the Kansas legislature passed a law. The Kansas legislature passed two laws, one that said they should round pi, the mathematical concept of pi. They should round it to, like, to three and if that were the case, then you'd have all these bridges and, and, and structures falling down. And also they passed a law that said if two trains came in into, into an intersection, neither of the train could leave until the other one left. Now, these are obviously cases where human beings came up with laws that didn't make any sense or were bad laws, just like the Nazis came up with horrific laws that said, Jews were inferior, that they could be exterminated. And the antebellum South came up with laws that said black people were subhuman. These are human beings making laws. And as a scholar of international law, international law has made some strides to get an, a universal definition of what is human rights. But of course, you're confronted with the same problem if you're looking for consistency because the same people that the same people that make domestic law are making international law. They might not be the exact same people, but they are human beings, which are fallible. Therefore, they are able to make laws that are bad, that are not object 
that are not rooted in something outside themselves in an objective truth. And in order to have an objective truth, you need to have something outside and beyond yourself as a human being to come and tell you what is right. And that, for myself, is enshrined in the gospel message where Jesus entered into humanity and the scriptures give us that objective truth of how to live our lives, that we are made in the image of God, to love our neighbor as ourselves, and, and the gospel message in its entirety. And we've seen horrible laws throughout history. And so you have to ask yourself, if horrible laws have been made throughout history, there's no objective standard outside, if left unto ourselves, to say that we're not making horrible laws now. You can't say that we've progressed and we're making great laws if we're left to just human reason alone, human, human, uh, you know, appealing to a culture of, of, of a specific culture, because that's what legal positivism did in the 19th century. They tried to strip anything theological out of, out of lawmaking and say that it was human culture, human society that was the determining fact, that was the determining factor of what made law in a country. And then the Nazis came along and and the Nuremberg trials and the Nazis used that against the their their their, their prosecution. They said, well, it was legal for us. It wasn't legal for you, but it was legal for us within our society to exterminate Jews and to have laws against Jews. Why is that bad for them? They they claimed it's you didn't understand our culture. That was legal to us. And so international law came out of that. They tried to get some universal principles, but in order to really have universal principles and some of the drafters of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights were very religious or were religious people, a number of them. Malik and, and some others. But the point is that you have to have that objective standard, that absolute objective standard. And the only way you're going to get that is in a, on a the from a theological basis. And by stripping the theology out of law, what you get is anything goes or what what is the majority rules. And we know through history that majority rule doesn't make any sense when it comes to morality. Because the majority has said slavery was okay. The majority of Americans have said segregation was okay. The majority of Germans went along with, with the Nazi party and so forth. So we will talk more about legal history and legal positivism versus natural law versus revelation and the origins of human rights. Because really there are no human rights without religion. You can have human rights treaties that are made by human beings, but if you go one step further down and you delve where that comes from into the metaphysics, into the, to the nature of the uniformity in nature, the laws of logic, things that, uh, that make us who we are and the world around us, you can't have human rights without a religious basis. That's something that needs to be infused into society because that is a, a basic logical fact. There's, there's no atheist or, or secularist that is going to be able to refute that fact. Secularity is a good concept and it, 
and it should be infused in, in society, secularity, to keep rival religions or different denominations from killing each other as they did in centuries past in the, in the 16th century and the 17th century. But, but, secularism is a religion unto itself which wants to take God completely out of the public sphere and deny basic truths then that is a problem because then you get a free-for-all and you get a lot of confusion and you get people saying, well, I think it's right. It's my autonomy. If I think it's right, it must be right. Well, no, just because you think it is right doesn't make it right. The question is, is it absolutely right outside of your likes and dislikes and beliefs? Should it ought to be whether you're here or not? That is the question you have to ask yourself. And that can only be answered with a theological basis. We're going to talk more about that in, in shows to come. Uh, one more thing. I just read an article in Le Monde Diplomatique, the English edition, and it was on the migration crisis in Poland. And Poland pursues a double standards on migration. The subheading says, Poland grants Ukrainian refugee refugees protected status, those fleeing other countries and attempting to cross the Beloweza forest straddling Belarus and Poland get a much more hostile reception. That's an understatement. They got water cannons in the dead of winter, migrants from the Middle East, while Ukrainian refugees were given a red carpet treatment with social programs and housing and etc., and if that doesn't highlight the racism in the European system, the European Union and, and Poland, in this case in particular, then I don't know, I don't know what does. And Poland built a, a a wall for four hundred million dollars from June. January to June 2022 for an est estimated $400 million and the rest of the border uh, of that and that area up until the border of Ukraine along the border of Belarus is, is barbed wire fencing. Could they have not spent that $400 million on helping these refugees in the, in the forest that are being hunted down like uh, subhuman beasts? Babies freezing and starving in the forests, and Poland is talking about being a Catholic country. I don't want to cast aspersion on all Polish people, but the government is not acting in a Catholic manner, is not acting in a Christian manner, it's acting in a racist manner that is contrary to the precepts of the gospel message. The Holy Family were migrants from the Middle East. Would they, would they be met with water cannons by the Polish government and the Polish military today? It looks that way. It looks as if 
Mary and Joseph and, and the baby Jesus were found themselves in Belarus trying to get to Poland, that they'd be hosed down in the forest by, by the Polish government, the Polish police and military, trying to get a, a roof over their head and, and warm clothing and, and food. What a sad travesty of human rights. Talk about human rights. Those are basic human rights. These people are in the forest being hunted down, being blocked by a wall. And the excuses take them back where they came from. Well, now you have a shining light of millions of Ukrainians being let in with social spending going to them. Why? Because they're white? Because they're Christian? Because they have blonde hair and blue eyes and are light-complected? What an outrage. And there's nothing Christian about that. There's nothing Christian about, about what the Polish and the EU are doing. The EU have gone silent. There was some criticism about Polish actions before, but since the Ukrainian-Ukraine war, because they were taking in Ukrainian refugees, the EU's gone silent on the actions of the Polish against these poor people in the forests that are just trying to survive. I thank you so much for joining me tonight on this ILEG radio show. If you have any comments on tonight's show, please email me at comments at ionglobalpolitics.com. That's comments at ionglobalpolitics.com. I look forward to your comments and or questions. And as always, keep the faith. Listening to the ILEG radio show with Dr. Paul F. J. Aranyas, broadcasting live on radio.ileducationgroup.org and ionglobalpolitics.com.